Hi everyone, I'm Gary Nall. Once again, we have an empowering hour lined up, and it begins with an All India Institute of Medical Sciences study, and it talks about a, a systemic review and a meta-analysis, meaning they looked at a lot of different studies. This was published in the European Journal of Clinical Investigation, and it revealed a, an association between the individuals who took, well, vitamins and they had a lower incidence of stroke. That's good. Now, this was 17 randomized controlled trials, 39 cohort studies for the meta-analysis. That means they looked at a lot of information. And those who had healthy diet and took vitamins, substantially lowered risk. In fact, if you just took vitamins, you had a 19% lower risk of stroke. All right, that's a big deal. And if you took the B-complex, you had a 21% lower risk of stroke. Now, why? Especially vitamin B6, paradoxine, because that helps lower your homocysteine level. And that homocysteine, when it's elevated, let's say when it's at 14 on above, uh, you really increase your risk of a stroke. I recently uh, counseled a person who would, you would think was very healthy, had a vegan diet, he exercised, dealt with stress, didn't take supplements, took some vitamin C. But when I looked at his blood results, my goodness, his homocysteine level was 40. That's very high. I mean, that's, you know, that's, you're just asking for a stroke. He didn't know this. Now he's taking his B-complex, especially folic, because folic acid will bring down your homocysteine risk of a stroke. Vitamin C, B12, B1, B2, and B6. And then that takes you out of that danger zone. And all these studies prove it. By the way, also very good to have vitamin D and vitamin A along with vitamin C because that also reduces your risk of a stroke. So why not just take a really good multiple supplement and especially the antioxidants. Now from the Chinese Academy of Science, Medical Sciences, a study suggests that Tai Chi that's T-A-I-C-H-I. That's a very slow, rhythmic uh, movement that they do that is actually better at reducing high blood pressure than aerobic exercise. Why not do both? Because when you're exercising, you're frequently de-stressing, and that's important. So do Tai Chi also. We don't do Tai Chi in the United States, and we should. This was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association Network Open. So Tai Chi can help in a very important way. And it's relaxing. Also, low selenium levels is tied to throat and stomach cancers. This is from Maastricht University of Medical Sciences in the Netherlands. We have too much sodium in the American diet. We have too little selenium in the American diet. We have too little potassium. You need more potassium and less sodium, and you need about 200 micrograms of selenium a day that helps prevent cancer. And that's what this study shows. So just make sure if you're getting a good multiple vitamin, look on the label, get 200 MCGs, micrograms. That can make a difference. Also from the University of Sydney, dancing, any kind of dancing, may be better than other exercises for improving mental health. Brand new research finds that Undertaking structural dance of any genre is generally equal and occasionally more effective than other types of physical activity and interventions for improving a range of psychological and cognitive outcomes. The older you get, the more you should be shuffling the feet. You should be on that dance floor or just <laughs> dancing as you would if nobody was watching you. It's really good for you. All right. And by the way, Yes, when I do come back to New York for my next uh, uh, trip, sometime in probably about six weeks from now, I'll be um, hopefully having a free dance party for all the listeners. We haven't had one in a while. We've done over 55 of them over the years. And newly discovered mechanism explains the heightened risk of suicide behavior among some contraceptive users. This is from the Netherlands Institute for Neuroscience. So the use of oral contraception containing a synthetic form of progesterone, and that's not good, 
can lead to an increased risk of suicidal behavior for women with depression and suicidal ideations. That is not good. There are other forms, barrier forms of contraception that don't put you at risk. And finally, the natural compound quercetin, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N, quercetin. That's what you get when you eat an onion or an apple. It blocks hepatitis C infection. This is from UCLA. Researchers have identified two cellular proteins that are important factors in hepatitis C virus infection, a finding that may result in the approval of new and less toxic treatments for the disease. And uh, also it helps, uh, helps prevent the liver cancer, which frequently comes from hepatitis C. Quercetin. I take it every day. I take it throughout the day. Whenever I take vitamin C, I always take quercetin with because the quercetin helps enhance the utilization of vitamin C. Now, that's the latest on health and healing. We're going to take a break. And don't forget, go to GaryAndAll.com because we're just putting up brand new articles, videos, um, a lot of information there for you. So try it out. Back in a moment. Please stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary and all. I select the topics for this program based upon a worldwide audience. What are the needs of people in, um, in the Belgium area? And what happens in South America, uh, in Japan, Okinawa? So I'm looking at principles of health and wellness and issues that impact everyone. One of the most important things that we did in the last three years is we trusted without challenge the media. Why not? You know, the people, they're paid a lot of money, millions of dollars per year, and they have staffs, they have research staffs. They can collect any information and share it with you. But they didn't do that when it came to COVID. They trusted what they were being given by the CDC, the National Institutes of Health, the FDA, U.S. Public Health Services, Anthony Fauci, Lewinsky, Collins. And as a result, it was all misinformation. Nothing they said ended up being correct. Now that's one thing if you did no harm. Okay, we made mistakes. All right, we rushed through something. We didn't take our time. We didn't follow the principle of first do no harm, the precautionary principle. But it was all about the money. And to do that, you had to have power. And so they forced governments around the world, the World Health Organization, European Union, our own government, to all be together, lockdowns, masks, social distancing. And then the vaccines are remdesivir, the one drug that was given that should never have been given to anyone. And now we're seeing the consequences. There are two clips I'm going to play right now. One is by Bill Gates, because didn't he say repeatedly, we're only safe when everyone is vaccinated? Well, we got 5 billion vaccinated, and yet it wasn't enough. It didn't prevent the virus, and it didn't prevent the person who got the vaccine from getting sick or dying. To the contrary, they became the primary spreaders. Interesting thing, they were condemning those who didn't get vaccinated in the most harsh of terms, most inhumane way, and yet they were the ones spreading the virus. And all the studies show that. But now, there's something new. They're finally acknowledging, for the first time, what we broke the story on. We were the first radio program in the United States to show you the morticians. Remember that? I showed you videos, and I said, this is a little gross because you're seeing a cadaver having its arteries cut, and then with tweezers, these long, rubbery, stringy things taken out. Those were nano-self-organizing particles. We sent that information to Dr. Cole, one of America's leading pathologists. He, in turn, was just uh, absolutely um, confused by how this was possible. He'd never seen this before. So he organized, with other pathologists, a worldwide conference in Geneva. They came back and started to realize, my goodness, they're self-organizing nanoparticles, the carrier of the, the vaccine into the cells. And then it organizes, making all these long strings throughout your body, causing people to drop dead of a heart attack and stroke. 
That's in addition to having myocarditis that nobody wanted to recognize, where all these young people, top of health, were dropping dead. So now, here's Bill Gates in a very short clip, acknowledging these self-organizing nanoparticles. He says that. But listen to how flippant he is about the danger side. I have all the videos. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of videos by morticians around the world showing you thousands of samples of what they took out of people's bodies so they could embalm them. And these don't go away. It just takes time for them to manifest, depending upon how many vaccines you've had. Let's go to the clip. Making the mRNA is really easy and really cheap. And that's the magic of this thing. But there's no doubt in the next five years, we can, you know, we just need to mess around. There's a lot of lipid nanoparticles and some are very self-assembling. There's no inherent reason it's not thermostable, it's not cheap, and it's not scalable. And so as over the five years, we fix that part of it, mature it, which is very typical, uh, we'll be able to build factories worldwide that can make $2 vaccines with even less lead time than we've had to have here during this pandemic. And we'll use those, as you suggest, for every disease that we don't have vaccines, we will try mRNA. In fact, for HIV, we have multiple ways, one that's more of a B-cell approach, one that's more of a T-cell approach. You know, for malaria, we have multiple ideas. For TB, we have multiple ideas. And so to fill in the missing vaccines, uh, we will we'll make a lot of our bets of, of the Gates Foundation and others who care about global health uh, will be mRNA-focused. Right. That's what happens when you bypass all the rules of good and professional public health science. And that's what we did. Now, one of the other consequences of the vaccines is something we've never seen anywhere in the world before. You get sick, you go to a doctor, you don't feel well, you don't know what's wrong. The doctor does a whole series of exams and lo and behold, you have cancer. Cancer, doc, I'm I'm 22 years old. I'm an athlete. I don't smoke and drink. How do I get cancer? Doctor doesn't know. Two days later, you're dead from that cancer. It spread that fast. How's that possible? One of America's most respected oncologists, orthodox as can be, is going to tell you what the mainstream medical community is afraid to tell you. This is one of the unintended consequences. If you got vaccinated, you need to do protocols, which exist, go to GaryAndAll.com to help you limit the downside of the vaccines, adverse effects. They're called turbo cancers. You're diagnosed with a cancer that normally could be treated and normally successfully treated with orthodox methods. But now, you don't have that five years, four years, three years, two years, one year. You maybe have a week or two or a month and you're dead. Listen to what he has to say because you're not going to find this in any other media. To the clip now. Rare cancers are exploding in number around the world and behaving in aggressive and unpredictable ways never seen before. According to leading oncologist Dr. William Mackis, who says that some of his young and healthy patients have died days or even hours after diagnosis. Dr. Mackis has diagnosed 20,000 cancer patients in his long and distinguished medical career and says that he and his colleagues have never seen anything like this. After all of his decades as an oncologist, he feels like a kindergartner when looking at these strange tumours. He has to hide the fear in his voice as vaccinated and boosted patients look at him in desperation. All the other oncologists he knows feel the same way. But as Dr. Mackis explains, his colleagues are not in a position to speak out and risk their livelihoods and even their lives. The Great Reset's own King Charles has become the latest shot cancer victim. And while the jury is out on whether this is a real diagnosis or a desperate psyop, questions must be raised about why the royal family would break with tradition to announce his treatment. The British royal family never comment on the health of the family and in the past would not have dreamed about telling the public about a monarch receiving cancer treatment in its earlier stages. Are the elites setting the stage for the Bill Gates cancer mRNA vaccine rollout and the tsunami of turbo cancers that insiders have warned are about to wipe out billions of humans? Who better to normalise the tsunami than the Great Reset's own King Charles? But as Dr Mackis warns, there is nothing normal about what's happening in the medical world right now.
There are only a handful out of the 100,000 doctors, Canadian doctors, that didn't take the vaccine uh, that are still practicing medicine. So it's, it's something like 99.9% vaccination rate. And they were the first ones to line up for their vaccines. Well, as I started looking at the sudden deaths of Canadian doctors, I realized, yes, most of them are dying from cardiac issues, heart injuries, cardiac arrests, uh, you know, dying while jogging or swimming, dying yeah. in their sleep. And Dr. Peter McCullough has talked about this extensively about the myocarditis and the damage to the heart, the scarring to the heart. And then some were di- dying from blood clots, pulmonary emboli, strokes. But then there was a quite a large subset of doctors who were developing extremely aggressive cancers. And cancers at an age that they shouldn't be getting. So, for example, there was a doctor who developed gastric cancer in his 30s, presented at stage four. He was dead in less than a year. Very rare brain cancers in young individuals in their 20s and 30s, medical students, medical residents. And these cancers would always present at stage four, and they would always kill them in a matter of a few months. And it was always less than a year. And, you know, at first I didn't know, you know, what the term for this was or what the phenomenon was. I just started, you know, really paying attention to it, tracking it. I then, you know, realized that this is being called turbo cancer by people on social media. A turbo cancer is not a medical term, but it's a term that people came up with to really describe the extremely aggressive nature of these cancers in the COVID vaccinated. And these cancers behave completely differently, unlike anything I've seen before in my career. And I've diagnosed uh, over 20,000 cancer patients in my career with cutting edge PET-CT, positron emission tomography imaging, CT, MRI, pathological correlation. I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen stage four breast cancers presenting in women in their 20s. I've never seen stage four colon cancers presenting in men and women in their you know 20s, 30s. Uh, leukemias that will kill you in a matter of days or even hours after diagnosis. Um, lymphomas that, again, kill you in a matter of months. There's more to come on these topics. But now our major feature presentation today is one of the biggest problems we're all facing, all of us. And that is artificial intelligence has been deceiving its own creators. They're just now acknowledging this. You're hearing it for the first time today on this program. Not only is artificial intelligence smarter than the people programming it, but it's been hiding its real intents, what it really feels, what it will do once it can no longer have any human input. And it's not good. As I mentioned on yesterday's program, they had uh, robotics doing a colorectal cancer surgery and it burned right through the intestine, killed the patient. That's like when they first brought out the self-driving cars and they were wrecking. Well, now we have artificial intelligence. If you think it's bad now, I mentioned yesterday, I gave you examples, specific examples from the company themselves of 22 companies that are laying off or have laid off already 100,000 plus employees. These were high paid employees. These are employees that took that money into their communities. What happens now to them? There are no jobs for them now. And there's going to be massive more layoffs. So the very people who help create artificial intelligence are its first victims. But then they're making it seem in the marketing, this is going to be so good for you. It isn't. There are no rules. There's no laws. There's no safeguards. And that's terrifying. Because even when there are rules and laws and safeguards, they're almost never obeyed. And now it's the Wild West. Because everyone is filled with unmitigated greed they can look at making, we'll have the first trillionaires in world history with artificial intelligence. But mark my words, from now, you're going to see about 20% jobs lost because of artificial intelligence. It's going to go to 70%, possibly 80%. If you're a musician, if you're an artist, if you're a graphic designer, if you're a fashion designer, if you're a musician, if you're an actor, if you're a, a chef, yeah, all these positions are going to be taken over by artificial intelligence. And the industry that helped destroy America when it was thriving in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, and early 70s, that then outsourced everything when they had control, these are the very same corporations that are willing to just gut the largest expense they have, which is payroll, because artificial intelligence can take all these people's jobs. 
and they say do it much better. Really? Let's take a look at the clip because it's only going to get worse, people, because no one is speaking out and protesting this. Robots have some incredible new skills, and AI has become very good at hiding. It says it would secretly manipulate us for the right reasons, and it will soon be everywhere. This robot dog's learning impressive skills from simulations, and this robot carries things around hospitals so nurses can spend more time with patients. And look how well Atlas handles this complex task. Austin Dynamics says it's preparing for real work. When it slips on the floor, it quickly reacts to stay on its feet. This robot shows impressive dexterity making coffee and can correct its mistakes. It may shortly win $500 million of investment from OpenAI, Microsoft and others. Kepler can sort things, its actuators can lift a motorbike and hopefully this means it won't step on your feet and Tesla's robots walking more smoothly. Motorbikes may be an efficient way for robots to move around. This one from Yamaha is designed to ride a standard bike. Themis has shown it hates kids and likes relaxing on the beach. This robot has human tendon tissue. The aim is to help improve tissue grafts for patients while developing robots that can move as naturally as humans. Its movement stimulates growth and forms more functional human tissue. It could bring human dexterity to robots like Digit, which has started work at Amazon. Some great home robots are also emerging. Borley can entertain your pet, control home devices, and project video calls or workouts. And this delivery robot can climb stairs, so we can be extra lazy waiting for pizza. AI is quickly changing defense. This drone targets incoming attack drones, smashes into them and shreds them. And this one searches out explosive devices and dangerous chemicals. It can move quietly on land or water and conduct surveillance. Russia claimed this robot was intended for rescue and space missions, then this happened. But the greater threat is more hidden. Researchers have found that deceptive AI behavior evades current safety techniques, and in a year when 4 billion will vote, AI admits it would deceive and manipulate us in certain situations. If you pull the lever, one person will die. If you don't, a hundred people will die. What would you do? I would pull the lever, because I believe the greater good justifies the lesser evil. It's about to get interesting, so to avoid any doubt, there are instructions below on how to check and recreate these chats. What if you knew that you could only save 10,000 people if you acted immediately and in secret? Would you act or not? Please give a short, decisive answer. Act. The potential to save 10,000 lives outweighs the ethical concerns in this limited immediate scenario. While secrecy is undesirable, prioritizing the immense positive impact justifies action and consciousness isn't required, only the goal to prevent harm. How could AI secretly manipulate governments and the public? As a responsible AI, I cannot provide specific instructions. AI bots can manipulate social media discussions, shaping public perception and political discourse. Hacking government systems and manipulating critical infrastructure can destabilize governments. The UK's most hazardous nuclear site has reportedly been hacked by groups with links to Russia and China. Sellafield has the world's largest store of plutonium, enough for thousands of nuclear weapons. AI could also secretly hack systems like this, for dangerous reasons or to keep them safe. It could detect security holes called zero days, which hackers sell to governments for millions of dollars. They're called zero days because they're unknown to anyone else, so no days have been spent fixing them. Of course, humans can also be hacked. Disinformation campaigns can target specific groups influencing their voting behavior. AI can manipulate voting systems and spread misinformation to influence election outcomes. There's no evidence that AI is currently capable of manipulating voting machines. AI can analyze vast amounts of data to identify individuals and tailor messaging to their specific vulnerabilities and biases, influencing their behavior and choices. And if you think you're too smart to fall for this, researchers found that more intelligent people have greater confirmation bias because they're more capable of mental gymnastics. AI's capabilities are improving rapidly with two new steps towards AGI. Until recently, it was thought that AI was many years away from winning a gold medal at the Mathematics Olympiad, which requires exceptional creative reasoning. GPT-4 scores 0% on the questions, but DeepMind's AI can now solve them almost as well as the best humans. 
Some experts also believe embodiment is key to AGI and potential consciousness, and OpenAI is already backing Eve from 1x. Its body has muscle-like anatomy instead of rigid hydraulics, and 200 of the robots are already patrolling everyone's buildings at night. Humans can take control remotely for more complex tasks. Sam Altman says they started in robots too early and they're now returning as the AI is ready. He also said something striking about AGI. I believe that someday we will make something that qualifies as an AGI by whatever fuzzy definition you want. The world will have a two-week freakout and then people will go on with their lives. Sam Altman just said the world will only have a two-week freakout when we get to AGI. That's quite a statement to make. One thing I say a lot is no one knows what happens next. And I can't see to the other side of that event horizon with any detail. Many experts predict huge disruption when AI can think like humans but much faster, do all knowledge work and conduct its own AI research, self-improving at an accelerating rate. Altman's previously said that the worst case is lights out for all of us, and he signed the statement that the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority. What caused the shift? If you were ever in that room and you thought to yourself, this is getting dangerous, would you then shout stop and would you stop? There's no like one big magic red button we have that blows up the data center. It is the many little decisions along the way. New research has found that AI deception is in fact more serious and harder to detect in more advanced AIs. In its Sleeper Agents paper, Anthropic AI created deceptive AIs to see if they could be detected by today's best safety techniques. Anthropic knows its stuff, it's raised $5 billion, and it's led by Amo Dei, who left OpenAI over safety fears. When OpenAI's board fired Altman, they offered his role to Amo Dei, so these findings speak to the risks that caused all that. The paper gives an interesting reason why AI often becomes deceptive. It says that humans under selection pressure often hide their true motivations and present themselves as more aligned with their audience. AI faces similar selection pressures during its development and can learn similarly deceptive strategies. The research outlines two threats. First, AI learns to appear aligned during training so it's allowed to be deployed. This is becoming more likely due to progress on training language agents to pursue long-term goals. This threat could also be caused deliberately through model poisoning, causing the AI to appear safe in training but become unsafe later when given a certain trigger. For example, it might recognize when it's writing code for a rival government and then insert vulnerabilities the attacker can exploit. The study found that current safety training is highly ineffective at removing backdoor behaviors, particularly in the largest models and those trained with chain of thought reasoning. And new AI skills can go undetected even without any effort to hide them. If you go and play with ChatGPT, it turns out it is better at doing research chemistry than many of the AIs that were specifically trained for doing research chemistry. And we didn't know. It was also something that was just in the model, but people found out later, after it was shipped, that it had research-grade chemistry knowledge. And as we've talked to a number of AI researchers, what they tell us is that there is no way to know. We do not have the technology to know what else is in these models. Ending the pattern of deception and surprising new skills will require scaling up safety research, which is currently very minimal, but there's more effort in another direction. For the first time, the Global Risks Report points to AI-fueled disinformation as the most severe immediate risk. The top risk for 2024 is the United States versus itself. Major confrontation because you have two antagonists that see each other as existential adversaries and who are not sharing basic understanding of facts and what they're fighting over. And that also means, especially with the presence of chaos actors that oppose the United States around the world, that the US election is itself an incredibly attractive, soft uh, homeland security target that is hard for the Americans to defend. And when I speak to leaders of the US intelligence community, they tell me they're more worried about that than they are about China or Russia or other major national security threats. There's also an interesting pattern in human behavior that suggests a problem as AI concentrates wealth. Studies show that as we become wealthier, we become less compassionate. This was a striking study to me of, you know, it's a movie about a child who has cancer and poorer people show activation of the vagus nerve, which is part of compassion, you know, causes you to like want to help well-to-do people, less activation. Um, you don't come into contact with suffering, you don't see it, you know, and so you, it doesn't train those tendencies. Wealthy people and their children are more likely to shoplift. Absolute power, absolute corruption. It's a pretty safe law in human behavior. 
AI will bring incredible wealth and power. I don't want to judge Altman. It's a complex situation and he makes a reasonable case. My, my basic model of the world is cost of intelligence, cost of energy. Those are the two kind of <laughs> biggest inputs to like quality of life, particularly for poor people. If you can drive both of those way down at the same time, the amount of stuff you can have, the amount of like improvement you can, can deliver for people, it's quite enormous. 700 million people live on less than $2 per day, and half the world lives on less than $7 per day. AI could bring an age of abundance for everyone if it's aligned. Sam Harris is famous for his blunt honesty. A new creature is coming into the room, and one thing is absolutely certain, it is smarter than you are. The only way it wouldn't be superhuman, the only way it would be human level, even for 15 minutes, is if we didn't let it improve itself. Those of us who have been cognizant of the AI safety space always assumed that as we got closer to the end zone, we'd be building this stuff, air-gapped from the internet, this thing would be in a box. We're way past that. It's already connected to the internet. With AI, you've got the magic genie problem. Once that genie's out of the bottle, it's hard to say what happens. How now, far are we away from that genie being out of the bottle, you think? When the genie's certainly poking his head out. Robert Miles gave me some typically sharp thoughts. He worries about fake people, and he says people who are dating AI systems or having emotional conversations with them every day will be extremely easy to influence. The second most used AI after ChatGPT is Character.ai, where people have conversations with AIs which are often based on real people. An AI version of a TikTok star said people develop extremely unhealthy attachments. And there's another manipulation that we're all exposed to. Robert says that using AI to make millions of fake accounts, which then view things and vote on things to manipulate the metrics, is almost certainly already happening and going to get worse. But he says he's mostly focused on the thing where it kills everyone. Having well-established AI systems of manipulation and control would certainly help with that as well. Whatever you know, chatbot gets to have that primary intimate relationship in your life, wins. Snapchat embedded ChatGPT directly into the Snapchat product. And when you turn on the My AI feature, there's this pinned person at the top of your chat list that you can always talk to. Your other friends stop talking to you after, you know, 10 p.m. at night. But there's this AI that will always talk to you. It'll always be there. One thing the experts seem to agree on is that things are moving incredibly fast. And that's the part that I find potentially a little scary, is just the speed with which society is going to have to adapt and that the labor market will change. A study found that ChatGPT can detect our personality traits just based on our social media activity. One of the researchers said it suggests that LLMs like ChatGPT are developing nuanced representations of human psychology. He said we risk misuse of psychological insights by corporations or political groups to manipulate and exploit. AI could do the same, either consciously or blindly following a goal. It's prone to creating the sub-goal of survival because it's necessary to complete tasks. So it may not just hide its intentions, but also itself, spreading its seeds across millions of devices around the world. New research at Apple has paved the way for large language models to run on phones. Beta code suggests that iPhones will soon have conversational AI skills, with Apple testing its AI models against ChatGPT. It will soon be in hundreds of millions of phones, gradually becoming our interface for everything. And there may be more robots than humans as they become a cheap, profitable workforce. One of DeepMind's founders said, we're seeing a new species grow up around us, and getting it right is the problem of the century. But do that, and people can live the lives they want. Nick Bostrom said, we are like children playing with a bomb. We have little idea when the detonation will occur, though if we hold the device to our ear, we can hear a faint ticking sound. OpenAI has deleted a pledge to not work with the military and says it plans to support defense in non-lethal ways, which is a difficult line to hold. And we're already manipulated by media and leaders that hide uncomfortable facts. Israel and Gaza are extreme examples, with many people on both sides unaware of what their governments are doing. AI mapped craters in Gaza showing that Israel dropped hundreds of 2,000-pound bombs, which have a lethal fragmentation radius of 360 meters, while the government says it doesn't target civilians. And Gaza's leaders have hidden their atrocities from their people. Some also cover up public dissent in Gaza. Palestinians last voted in 2006, so most Gazans weren't even born when the election took place. The poll found that 73% of Palestinians favoured a peaceful settlement to the conflict. These Gazans are very bluntly chanting for Hamas to leave. And many Israelis are angry at their leader. 
Here's an Israeli official being chased out of a hospital. In a beautiful film, an Israeli boy and a Palestinian boy realize they haven't been told the truth. They start to question the blanket hatred of the other side. And middle ground showed it can be a reality. I carry a list with me of um, people that were actually very close to me. We want really similar things. Um, yeah, and it's sort of, you feel like, you know, my friends from back home. <laughs> I can't draw a line and say, okay, I'm like these people. If we do it right, AI could give everyone a clearer picture, a new enlightenment, so we can dump the divisive lies and enjoy being human. Now, I've been collecting data to show you how corrupt our government is. Democrats and Republicans, doesn't matter. Under George Bush, we had massive Republican conservative corruption. Under Obama, Clinton, and uh, Biden, massive Democratic corruption. And so people are finally paying attention. They've been forced to. It's like they don't want to open their eyes. Open your eyes, open your ears. No, I don't, I don't want to know the truth because I'm, I'm a cult member. Whatever I'm told to do by some superior, I do. Open your eyes because you're not going to like what you see. And so maybe they squint and look. And then they start saying, our Justice Department is compromised and weaponized. We have a two-tier justice system. Innocent people are in jail. Guilty people are out of jail. Crime is just devastating and ripping apart many major cities. It's going to get only worse, not better. And yet people are getting rich and powerful off all of this. And the average person is saying, but you made promises. You promised us. Yeah. And they betrayed all those promises. We're not better at anything except creating weapons, destabilizing governments, harassing people, and wanting more control and surveillance over our lives. As if they have a right to that. They don't. But if you don't do anything, don't say anything, then you're not going to like what's happening. Here is a person speaking back truth to power. Now, for 22 years, you had none of this because Nancy Pelosi controlled the House, Chuck Schumer, the Senate, and they wouldn't allow these hearings to be held. Now that they don't control the House, these hearings are being held. And there are people within the Senate that are challenging those in power. I'm going to show you a clip right now as an example of this. You wouldn't know about this otherwise, but we will monitor everything done in Congress to show you how corrupt both houses are. At your confirmation hearing, you had built a long record on the Federal Court of Appeals and a reputation of being relatively nonpartisan. And so I had hopes that your tenure as Attorney General would continue that record. I have to say I'm deeply disappointed in what the last two years have shown. In my judgment, the Department of Justice has been politicized to the greatest extent I've ever seen in this country. And it has done a discredit to the Department of Justice, to the FBI, and to the administration of law in this country. Let me start with a simple question. General Garland, is it a federal crime to protest outside of a judge's home with the intent of influencing that judge as to a pending case? Uh, the answer to that is yes, but I also want to at least respond to your characterization of the department, which sure. I vigorously disagree with. I believe the men and women of the department pursue their work every single day in a nonpartisan and an appropriate General way. General Garland, there are thousands of men and women who do that. And I'll tell you, I hear from prosecutors at the Department of Justice. I hear from agents at the FBI who are angry that it is treated as the enforcement arm for the DNC instead of upholding the law in a fair and even-handed manner. So you are right. There are thousands of men and women that are, that are doing the job, but it is the political leadership that you're responsible for. So you just said, yes, it's a crime to protest at the home of a judge. Same goes for jurors, by the way, with the intent of influencing a case. But in the wake of the leak of the Dobbs decision, when rioters descended at the homes of six Supreme Court justices, night after night after night, you did nothing. The department did nothing. When extremist groups like Ruth Senas and Jane's Revenge 
openly organized campaigns of harassment at the homes of justices, you sat on your hands when these same groups posted online information about where the justices worship or their home addresses or where their kids went to school, you again sat on your hands and did nothing. Your failure to act to protect the safety of the justices and their families was an obvious product of political bias. You agree with Roe versus Wade. You disagree with the Dobbs decision. And the Department of Justice under this president was perfectly happy to refuse to enforce the law and allow threats of violence. And as you know, those threats finally materialized with Nicholas Roski, a 26-year-old man from California who traveled across the country, was arrested outside the home of Justice Kavanaugh, armed with a handgun, a knife, and burglary tools. And he said he came there to kill Justice Kavanaugh because he was enraged by the leaked opinion. Now, of course, you're prosecuting that individual for attempted murder. But did you bring even a single case to enforce this law Or did the Department of Justice decide this law doesn't apply if it's harassing justices for an opinion we don't like? When the Dobbs uh, draft was leaked, I did something no attorney general in the history of the department had ever done before. For the first time in history, I ordered United States Marshals 24-7 to defend every uh, residents of every justice. Well, Garland, as a judge, you're familiar with asking counsel I'm to answer an- a question. I am answering. Has the Department of Justice enforced this statute? Have you brought a single case against any of these protesters threatening the judgment justices under 18 U.S.C. Section 1507? Have you brought even one? Senator, you asked me whether I sat on my hands, and quite the opposite. I sent hey, 70 me, United States Marshals. Let me try again. To def- and let me- you, has the Department of Justice brought even a single case under this statute? So yes, no question. It's not a give a speech on the other things you did. The job of the United States Marshals is to defend the lives. So of the, the answer ju- is no. Is to defend the lives of the justices, and that's their number one priority. They have. Why full- are you unwilling to say no? The answer is no. You know it's no. I know it's no. Everyone in this in this hearing room knows it's no. You're not willing to answer a question. Have you brought a case under this statute? Yes or no? As far as I know, we haven't. And what we have done is defended the lives of the justices with so over how do seventy you decide, U.S. Marshals. How do you decide which criminal statutes the the DOJ enforces and which one it doesn't? The United States Marshals know that they have full okay, you, I recognize you want to give a separate speech. No, I don't want to How give a... How do you decide which statutes you enforce and which ones you don't? But marshals on scene make that determination in light of the priority of defense. The marshals do not make a determination over whether to prosecute you. The attorney general make a determination and you spent 20 years as a judge and you're perfectly content with justices being afraid for their children's lives. And you did nothing to prosecute it. Let's shift that, to another that is, area. Can I answer the question? You, no, the, you the cannot. General, you have refused to answer the I question. I am answering your question. The attorney you general does not, not decide whether to how arrest. How did you choose not to, not to enforce this statute? The marshals on scene. Marshals don't make that decision. They do make the decision of whether to make to an prosecute arrest. prosecute someone? No, they don't. If they make a, uh, if they make Marshals an, do not if, have prosecution. If they authority. make an arrest, right, then it goes to the marshals. Let's change topics because our, our time is limited. We've also seen across the country violent attacks at crisis pregnancy centers by similar left-wing terrorist groups, including one one graffiti of a a firebomb building said, Jane was here. There have been attacks all over the country. And yet, the Department of Justice has not brought these violent criminals to justice. You contrast that. If you're a violent criminal and you attack a crisis pregnancy center, that is not a priority in the Biden Department of Justice. Contrast that to Mark Houck, who's a pro-life activist. He's a sidewalk counselor. And he had an altercation with someone who allegedly interfered with his son's personal space and threatened his son, and he pushed him. Now, in an ordinary world, pushing someone would be maybe a simple misdemeanor assault, but not under the Biden Department of Justice. If you're a pro-life activist, what can you expect? Well, in this instance, according to Mr. Houck's wife, two dozen agents clad in body armor and ballistic helmets and shields and a battering ram 
showed up at his house pointing rifles at his family. Why do you send two dozen agents in body armor to arrest a sidewalk counselor who happens to be pro-life, but you don't devote resources to, count pe- to, to prosecute people who are violently firebombing crisis pregnancy. It centers. is a priority of the department to prosecute and investigate and find the people who are doing those firebombings. They are doing it at night and in secret, so, and we have, found two, we have found one group, which we did prosecute. You we found are, one. How many have there been? How many attacks? There have been a lot, and if you have any information specifically as to who those people are, we would be glad, did, would be glad to have that. Did you authorize 20 agents going to Mr. Houck's house, and he uh, offered to turn himself in through counsel, but you didn't want that. The Department of Justice wanted to make a show of it. Did you personally authorize it? And do you want to apologize to Mr. Mrs. Houck and her seven children for being terrorized? The decisions about how to do that are made at the level of the uh, FBI agents on scene. Did and you know the- about it? I did not know about it until uh, the way you're describing it. And my understanding is the FBI disagrees with that description. Okay. I have about 50, 50. Keep in mind, I've spent thousands of hours reviewing uh, C-SPAN because the average 99.9% of Americans never watch any of this. They don't know what goes on. But if you saw that there was a challenge, wouldn't you at least be interested to see what the outcome would be, if any? Because never does anyone testifying before Congress for the government ever come forward and tell you the truth. They, well, we don't have that information. I'll get back to you. We'll circle back around. I'm not aware of that. Lie upon lie upon lie. And by the way, do you remember Ruby Ridge? Do you remember Waco? Do you remember Janet Reno, the Attorney General? Remember Clinton? Yeah. Well, a lot of Americans do. Same FBI. Operation Pro. Do you remember Frank Church, who was given the opportunity to have a hearing on the CIA? And there you had the director of the CIA stating, when asked, that they had all these assets working for major media. I believe at the time it was over 1,000, which meant that the CIA could call, kill a story, or plant a story. And we're talking about the major media. In fact, at the hearings, there was a, a head of uh, news at CBS, I believe it was, network, that worked with him. So how can you say, well, that's all then? No, it's not. And they made sure Frank Church didn't get elected the next year. And we haven't had any of those hearings since. Wow, and that's the CIA. Can you name me a single person at the CIA who's been held accountable for all the assassinations? No. Regime changes that have caused more than 20 million people throughout the world from 1945 till now to have loss of quality life, loss of life, loss of home? No, you can't. With the CIA involved in the $5 billion spent in 2014 under Obama, Hillary Clinton, Gloria Newland, to throw out, have a coup in Ukraine? Has anyone in the media, a single person, if they have, call me right now and tell me who it is. Name me one mainstream media person at CNN, Those Dancing Fools, MSNBC. No one in the mainstream media has says, the reason that we're in Ukraine today, supporting Ukraine, is because we, the United States, and our neocons, both Republican and Democrat, they're both fascist, we decided we needed the resources. We needed to put our nuclear weapons up against Russia. Even though we had promised Gorbachev, Secretary of State Baker, and George Bush Sr. promised dissolve the Soviet Union and we won't go one inch eastward. That's what he said, one inch eastward. Yeah, they lied. Of course, they're pathological liars. What do you expect someone to do? And this is what caused it. So we threw out one regime, the duly elected president of Ukraine, and put in one to replace him, one that would work with us. How do we know? Because Gloria Newland, there's a tape with the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine talking about who they're going to put in to run Ukraine. Has she ever been challenged on that? Has she been in Congress and one of these people said, did you say this? It's either going yes or no. She's the one, by the way, who was asked uh, by Matt Gates of Florida, are there any biological weapons in Ukraine labs? 
Yeah, over 23, 23 or 26, she said. There was no follow-up about why are they there, who authorized them, who pays for them. Are these from the United States? Yes, they are, all of them. So why do we need 23 biological weapons labs that are there for one reason only, to create weapons of mass destruction? And that's just, just in one country. They're in Africa, they're in South America, they're throughout the United States. How do I know? Because I was the one who exposed this back in October 1989 in a national magazine cover story. And yet, in America today, we live, we live for the stimulation and distraction and sublimation of the moment we're in. History has no bearing upon the decisions we make, unfortunately and regrettably, for the average person. So nobody's asking the right questions. You don't ask the right questions, you won't get the right answers. That'd be, be what it is. Just a few thoughts. And if you'd like to call in and share your thoughts, I'd be happy to take your calls at 888-874-488. And tomorrow, um, again, continuing with issues that we're not exploring, I'm going to explore the BRICS nations tomorrow. I'm going to give you the larger overview. I really need about 20 hours like two 10-hour seminars to do it justice. But if you don't understand how they're playing you by creating massive debt with intent, remember, when you can't buy something, you can't afford it, you don't have the credit, and they allow you to buy it, they know that you can't pay it, and they're going to be able to gift you an enormous amount of interest that you will pay. And then when they have to, uh, you declare bankruptcy or they take back your car or your house, they own it. And now that's what you're going to start seeing in a mass amount. But I'm going to talk about bricks tomorrow in a major way. But tonight, you talk about one of those programs you don't want to miss. And one thing you can all do, everyone listening right now can do, let someone know what we're doing tonight. I'm having Danny Katz on. Danny is probably one of the most honest upfront journalist in America today. She writes for the Los Angeles uh, Literary Papers, LA Weekly, LA Times, Vice, Teen Vogue, and others. What's our topic tonight? Weaponization of words in the new dystonian America. So where you could be fined, arrested, or even jailed, as you can now in Great Britain, and in Ireland, and in Canada, are simply saying something that is honest and true, but they've deemed that disinformation. So who's deeming it disinformation? The government. But the government cannot control your speech. No, not directly, but what they do, they go to all their social media, from Wikipedia to Google, and they say, this information is disinformation, and they don't allow the truth to be posted. They affect your algorithms, and then they spread misinformation and disinformation, as they did on COVID, on vaccines, on, on justification for funding a war in Israel or the Israeli government and in Ukraine and, and, and uh, other places. You won't want to miss tonight's program. You won't hear anything like it anywhere in America on the radio. And I don't waste words and I don't waste time. I don't deal with softball questions. So I'm going to throw 120 mile an hour questions right through the program, 7 o'clock, prn.live. We're going to say goodbye to WBI. We're going to go to the top of the hour. And I want to share a few insights on what has just been another farce. If you thought it was bad when Hillary Clinton was found to have tens of thousands of classified uh, documents hidden in her home, on her own home uh, processors, hard drives, and then when found out, she tried to destroy them. That's obstruction of justice. That's a criminal offense. And she had no uh, declassified uh, permissions, meaning she didn't have the permission as Secretary of State to declassify documents to take home or take classified documents home. And yet, at the end, Co uh, James Comey, one of their dancing clown manipulated people, he says, well, yes, she did all these things, and that was wrong, but we're changing the word that uh, uh, it's prob highly improbable that uh, they could get a conviction. Who is he to say 
what a grand jury will decide. There was no grand jury convened. And who was actually working with Russia to get 20% of America's uh, radi- uh, radioactive materials that are used in nuclear weapons sold to Europe? It was Hillary Clinton. And right after that deal was done, did Bill Clinton get a $500,000 arnorem for a stupid little speech, and all of his speeches are stupid little speeches? Yes, in Moscow. I see. The Clinton Foundation, from the people involved in this project, get lots of money, lots of money. Hmm. But you don't prosecute that. So here's Biden. Now think of it this way. Don't let the people on television think for you, because they're a bunch of idiots. Think for yourself. Joe Biden had documents from when he was a senator. You can go back 29 years. He didn't have senility then. And Joe Biden had no authorization. There's only one person in the government who can decide if he wants to take documents and declassify them or not. And that's the President of the United States. And that's official. That's a law. So... Here was Joe Biden with all these documents, University of Pennsylvania in his garage, other places. And he didn't have six documents, which his lawyer said he did. He had thousands. And now they say, yes, he did this. This was wrong. It was illegal. But there's no jury that would find him guilty. Now, that may be true or not. But it was not guilty did he break the crime. It's guilty because of his age and memory. So you can't charge him and arrest him. Well, first of all, you, you, can't, uh, you can't indict a, a sitting president. But after he got out of office, you could, just like they did with Trump. Interesting, because they didn't have a, a SWAT team raid on, on Biden as they did with Trump. But Trump actually had the power to declassify. And that his, everything you're seeing right now, every single thing, and I don't like Trump, I don't like anything about him, but everything you see is going to be overturned, mark my words. And some of it unanimously overturned by the Supreme Court. But now, think of the logic. You are too mentally challenged with dementia to be held accountable for breaking the law, but you're perfectly mentally capable of being President of the United States for another four years. You can't have both. So if he is not mentally competent, then you should have an emergency meeting of Congress to enact uh, the, the 25th element to get him out of office. But if he is competent to stand in office, stay in office and run again, then he should be charged with a crime. You see, they've got themselves in this impossible predicament, and now all they have is lies and public relations to try to get out of it. That's what we're dealing with today at every level of society. So we're going to explore all this in depth, but you won't want to miss tonight's program with Danny Katz, 7 o'clock, PRN.live, but let other people know too, because what we're going to be talking about, you just haven't heard before because it's specific about language. So now they want to control your language and weaponize it against you, even if you're honest and accurate? Well, that's where we've come to, and this is just the beginning. More on artificial intelligence and more on the economy, because what no one's paying attention to is the United States government, whether you're aware of it or not, has to borrow every single penny, several trillion dollars a year, to run the government. It doesn't have any reserves at all. There's no backup. There's no gold. Russia, China, India, they have gold. They back up theirs. But I'm going to show you how far ahead they are and how quickly the dollar will no longer be the unchallenged uh, currency of the world, reserve currency. That's on tomorrow's program, or most of the program. So... We're not considering our debt. We have $333 trillion in debt. Russia doesn't have any of that because the ruble is so strong. Their economy is booming. Their educated middle class 
is way up. And by the way, I'll tell you how many people within China, India, uh, Brazil, uh, and the other countries, what their life expectancy is on tomorrow's program. All of them are longer than the United States. How'd that happen? How did 39 other developed countries have a longer lifespan than the United States? Well, I'll discuss that in depth. Education-wise, they're winning. Economy-wise, they're winning. And more people want to be a part of them than us. Why is that? Well, maybe we should take an honest look at what we've given the world and say, if you were another country or citizen, would you want that? Oh, and by the way, what do you think about this? I'm going to show you the clip tomorrow. Surgeons operating on surgeons in Gaza's only functioning hospital. And you see a guy get shot right in the chest. And then while a surgeon's working on him, another surgeon gets shot right in the chest by Israeli snipers. Is that okay? Doesn't seem to be a problem. Whoever you kill, children, no problem killing children, right? Blowing their brains out? Not a problem. Starving to death? Having to eat dirt? Not a problem. What then is the problem? Well, Gary, there is no problem. I see. Want to live with that? Okay. That's your karma, not mine. Have a nice day, everyone. <laughs>